Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Throughout the uh, first part of the series, we've seen that Proverbs is seeking to give us counsel on how to pursue divine wisdom. And as we've seen that we're being asked to consider two diverging pathways, a pathway of wisdom and a pathway of folly. If you want to be wise, then do these things. Don't do these things. If you want to be foolish, disregard the counsel of the wise. We've also seen a contrast in affirmative and negative commands. You should do this. You shouldn't do this. This, this morning, we're going to walk right into the midst of, a, of, of folly, in an issue that we desperately need to be dealing with today. If you followed the news this week, then you have undoubtedly seen this man's picture on your television screen or in your social media feed. His name is Robert Aaron Long. He's the perpetrator of a killing spree this week that targeted a a very particular industry in the Atlanta area. At first, the media was quick to jump on Long's actions, describing them as a hate crime. They still haven't completely ruled it out, as four or six of the eight victims were people of Asian descent. However, once he was captured, it became very clear that this terrible killing spree came from a very different place than racism. When Long admitted to the murders, he acknowledged that he was a sex addict, According to media reports in his confession, he tried to justify his actions when he told police that he thought about killing himself, but decided instead to help others who share in his addiction by targeting these spas. The mayor of Atlanta said that these businesses that were targeted were operating legally. However, uh, Long was a frequent client of these establishments. And now, of course, we know these, these establishments are seedy at best, but at their worst, they're locations for human trafficking and prostitution. One policy group working to solve the problem of human trafficking suggests that in the United States, there are over 9,000 of these establishments that are involved in illicit business practices. Of course, if you've been down the I-75 corridor from here to Florida, you understand that this, uh, this area is ripe for this sort of activity. All you have to do is read the billboards on the side of the interstate next time you're driving south. Many of the women in these locations are not there by choice. They're there by force. Their handlers have manipulated them with fraudulent, coercive tactics. And though we don't know for certain that the business practices of these spas that were targeted by Long last week, uh, the fact of the matter is is that a number of the women in this industry are already victims long before Long ever darkened the door. If there is anything good to come from this situation, it, it is the fact that it brings to light a very significant problem that we are facing as a nation. We see these establishments and we recognize that there's probably a lot more sinister stuff going on behind the scenes than simply what the billboards and tinted windows imply. We need to acknowledge today that we have a gross sickness in our land and it would be wise for us to stop hiding it in the shadows, dimly lit by purple neon, 
and start shining the white-hot light of truth on it. Sadly, Long's violent rampage through Atlanta has at least brought this sickness out of the shadows. And I think it's probably wise for us to go ahead and acknowledge that we have a serious problem in the church as well. The Washington Post, one of the more liberal media outlets in the country, decided to dig around in Long's past and found that he was a faithful member of, guess what? A Southern Baptist congregation. In an interview with the AP, one of his classmates from school said that he was super nice. He was super Christian, very quiet. Said he brought a Bible to school every day, walked down the hallway with it, in his, with it in his hands. The schoolmate said he went from being one of the nicest kids I ever knew in high school to being on the news as a mass murderer. Obviously, we have to acknowledge that Long was under the influence of some very dark and very evil impulses. And even if he is suffering under some degree of mental illness, I think we do have to recognize that mental illness that leads to mass murder is still demonic, even if it comes from a dark place in someone's mind. But therein lies something that needs to be said. The Bible speaks to this. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 say this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, give birth, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sadly, we've seen this in a very clear display this past week. As you can imagine, the book of Proverbs isn't silent on these matters. God's wisdom touches every part of our lives, including this particular part of our soul that is so often the source of such awful spiritual cancers. So this morning, I want us to take a hard look at how God's wisdom gets to the heart of a Christian sexual ethic, a wise sexual ethic, and I'm going to do my best to keep this PG for the younger ears in the room. If you've got your Bible this morning, let's open to Proverbs chapter 6, the next verses as we are working our way through the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 6, we'll pick up in verse 20. I'd invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word together. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. The wisdom of Solomon says this, My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue, the adulteress. Father, I'm thankful for the wisdom of your word that speaks into a very sick society today. May we as the church not hide from these matters, but speak with the clarity that only your word can provide. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Some of you back for the first time today are thinking, what have I just walked into? But I think it's important that we acknowledge this. The Bible is not afraid to address the issue of sexual immorality. Beginning here in verse 6 all the way through chapter 7, our teacher in the book of Proverbs is giving us an extended lesson about a particular sin issue. It is given to us in the equivalent of a story as the writer reflects on what he is witnessing in his community. 
But the moral of the story is quite simple. Wisdom doesn't embrace any kind of sexual immorality. While Proverbs here is particularly concerned with the activity of adultery, the New Testament gives us a term that helps us to summarize what God thinks about this kind of behavior. In the New Testament, we encounter the Greek word pornea. The Greek word pornea is typically translated as sexual immorality. It's a generic term, and it covers everything. I heard one preacher call it the junk drawer term of the New Testament, that if you want to think of some perversion, it's covered under the word pornea. Any kind of sexual activity that takes place outside the boundaries of heterosexual monogamous marriage falls into the category of pornea, of sexual immorality. It covers everything from the casual use of pornography to the extreme behavior of today's LGBTQ plus community. Now, as Christians, we are really good at picking on that last group. We're really good at picking on that last group and calling out that sinful behavior. You know, if, if, there's, a, if there's a target sin in today's Christian community, it's that last group. A part of the reason is that we understand that there are individuals in that particular community who not only practice their behaviors, they want every part of society to also celebrate and embrace their behaviors. Romans chapter 1 verse 32 actually details this attitude for us saying that they practice those behaviors and they give approval to those who practice them. So there is strong desire in this community to have the approval of the larger society. And the evangelical church, of which we're a part, is one of the last holdouts to actually provide a blessing to that particular behavior. You'll notice that very few people with pornography addictions are seeking the church's approval. Nobody's suing the church because they don't condone a pornography problem. Likewise, adultery is still frowned upon as a whole, even in that particular community. Adultery is seen as, as, a, as, a, as an unacceptable, unacceptable behavior. But regardless of how lines are drawn in a culture war, the honest church must still call a spade a spade. And make sure that we understand that the pornographer and the member of the LGBTQ plus community are both still at odds with God's revealed standard. We have to acknowledge that. Now that does not give us permission to stand on the street corner with hateful protest signs, as happens frequently. People who are caught up in this kind of immorality, guess what? They have something remarkably in common with all of us. They're sinners who are in need of a Savior. Uh, they all have it in common. We all have that, that, th that same thing in, in common. We are all sinners who are in need of a Savior. Jesus died to save them from their sin, just like he died to save you and me from my sin. It's true across the board. It doesn't matter how far into that culture they get. Jesus died to save their sins. And the person who is steeped in that immorality, when he says yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I took care of that sin. And on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he died to cover the sins of homosexuality and pornography and all the other things. He died to take care of those sins. And if we don't believe that, then we don't really have a biblical gospel. Today's church falls into two opposite errors. The liberal mainline churches have adopted a coming-as-you-are mindset that celebrates deviant behavior. Yet many evangelicals have taken a posture that would seem to indicate a belief that those folks are just too far gone to find Christ. And I would argue that both extremes are fundamentally opposed to the gospel. 
With that being said, I'd like to ask this question today. What principles can we glean from, glean from Proverbs chapter 6 regarding our fight against sexual immorality in the culture and in the church? And the first thing I would say is this. Parents must take the lead in this fight. Look at verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. One of the things that Proverbs is very much concerned about is the training of the next generation. We have concepts like we find in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. There is a clear concern in the wisdom of Solomon here with properly exposing a child to appropriate divine wisdom in their youth so that they are prepared to face various pathways offered to them as they get older. How many of you that are older than 50 have looked at today's teenagers and say, I'm thankful I'm not a teenager today? Because they're confronted with pathways, with, with choices that, that I, I remember when I was a teenager, and I'm not that much older than them, that the options that I had con, uh, given to me radically differ the options that they're given today. And so it's important for parents to introduce children to divine wisdom so that when the opportunity for straying comes about, they are equipped with the knowledge, they're equipped with the wisdom to know exactly how they should choose, how they should act, how they should go, so that they follow the pathway of wisdom and not the pathway of folly. Listen to this statistic, though, that appeared in an article in the Journal of Pediatric Healthcare. This is a professional journal. In 1970, the average American child began to watch television regularly at age four. Yet today, children begin interacting with digital media at the age of four months. Now, I remember when I was four years old, I was the TV watcher, also the remote control. Change the channel, son. I mean, I distinctly remember that. There wasn't a lot of choices when I was four years old on, on, of what to watch. But I think about what children today have access to, what they get their hands on at, at, at very early age. Now, I'm not suggesting that the four-month-old is accessing inappropriate content on the Internet, but I am suggesting that that four-month-old is being conditioned to be able to access that content when they are old enough to know how to do so. The common stat that's being tossed around is that age 11 is when a child is first exposed to online pornographic content. I've heard the story of parents of finding out that their kids on the school bus were exposed to pornography on the way home or on the way to school as, as early as first, second, third grade. One researcher, one researcher said this, they don't have to find it. It's programmed to find them. So the Bible actually places this responsibility to disciple children into a wise sexual ethic on the parents, but increasingly kids are learning about these things from sources that are not just contrary to the Word of God, they're hearing from it from sources that are hostile to the Word of God. And we need to understand what is happening, what is taking place. So parents, when you put this digital device in their hands, when you get them that first cell phone, when you put them in front of the iPad, understand what you're doing. And if you make that choice, you need to be prepared to deal with the consequences of that, de that decision. 
just as an aside, I appreciate what our student ministry is doing. They're uh, about to implement, uh, I call it a phone jail. Uh, so that when our uh, when our teenagers go to uh, go to the student ministry worship services and things like that, there's a place where they can all put their phones and plug them in so that they're good and charged. But during that time of worship, our teenagers are all going to con- uh, going to consent to put their phones up so they can focus on worship and focus on teaching. Uh, adults will be doing that next Sunday in the foyer, so uh, so feel free to uh, that'll thin the crowd out a little bit, won't it? You see, our problem with sexual immorality is fundamentally a discipleship problem. Look at verses 21 and 22. Talking about these commands that the father and the mother pass along, implied here is that these are the words of God, the words of wisdom. But it says here, bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. See, when you read these verses, you can't help but recognize the prevalence of the Word of God when properly taught. It's not sufficient to carry it, you also have to read it. It's not sufficient to own one, you actually have to open it. And listen to what these words do. They lead you, they protect you, they instruct you. We've been given a remarkable gift in the fact that we possess in our hands the inspired, the inerrant words of our Creator. If you want to know what God thinks, God has given us what he thinks. He has told us his opinion on matters. He's made it very clear to us. This is not complicated. Yet at the same time, we also need to recognize that there is a tremendous degree of biblical illiteracy in our culture, and alarmingly so in the church as well. Let's do some self-evaluation for just a moment. Think for a second about what your daily calendar looks like. Obviously, there's things on your calendar that are non-negotiable parts of the day. There are things you can't really, you don't have a lot of flexibility on, right? Sleeping, that's necessary. Some of you uh, are better at it than others, but sleeping is a non-negotiable part of the day. You think about it that they tell us you need eight hours of sleep in a day. I'm thinking, man, I hadn't had eight hours of sleep in a long, long time. They say we need eight hours of sleep. That's That's a third of our life that's to be spent sleeping. One third, right off, right off, right, right off the bat's gone. So then you've got to go to work, right, or some semblance of work. There, you know, or if, if you're young, you've got school. That's equivalent to work. So you've got you got to show up. You got to clock in. You got to clock out. There's things that you got to do for the man. You got to go to work to get the paycheck. All those things are non-negotiable. Generally, we probably spend some time eating, although some of you can multitask and do other things while you're eating. Uh, I've got to focus on it. I can't, can't read a book and eat at the same time. So eating is important. So we, we do that. We spend time in the car getting from point A to point B. It's probably wise to not read while you're doing that. Now, the rest of the day that's not filled with have-tos is filled with what? Want-tos. So you got your have-tos, and have-tos, let's be honest, they take up a lot of time by the time you add work and sleep and and eating. All those have-tos take a lot of time, but then we take the want-tos, those things that we don't have to do. We don't have control over the have-tos, but we have total control over the want-tos. So take your time that's available, that's not occupied by have-tos, and let's put it in a big pie chart and fill that pie chart with all the want-tos. How big would the slice of that pie be when you start filling in the blanks for prayer and Bible study, particularly when you compare it to the other pieces of the pie? Do you even have a daily pie piece for Bible study? 
How would it compare to time spent on social media? How would it compare to time spent on Netflix or however you get your television today? I'm not suggesting that it's inappropriate for us to spend time catching up with friends and checking out the news on social media. I'm not suggesting that it's inappropriate for you to sit down and, and, and watch a show, you know, spend time doing that. I'm not suggesting that's inappropriate. But if we are spending an hour of our want-to time on Facebook and Instagram or we're filming TikTok videos and we spend five minutes of our day in the Word of God, I think we can agree that there's a pretty substantial imbalance. When you look at how the words of God are talked about here, and you compare them to these other want-tos, Facebook will not lead you. It will not watch over you. It will not talk with you, although they may listen to you. God says, look at this. Look at this word. Know this word. Study this word. Talk with this word. Let this word inform you. You know, we're hoping today that the church will check the box for us, but that is fundamentally flawed thinking from the start, as this past year has proven. When everything else was stripped away, when you couldn't go anywhere, when you couldn't do anything else, the one thing you could do was spend time in your home and spend time with your family because the most basic unit in our lives is our family. It's our household. And a microscopic virus can take everything away from you apart from your family. And our few moments each week absolutely pales in comparison to the time that you spend apart from these walls. You cannot depend on the church to do the job of the family, and it begins with mom and dad instructing the next generation on what God's Word says. Thirdly, we need to understand we have to be willing to shine the light of truth on sexual immorality while pointing people to an appropriate sexual ethic. Look at verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. An article appeared yesterday in the New York Times suggesting that the problem with Mr. Long, are you ready, is that his church was too rigid in these matters. His church was too rigid in these matters. Church, if we just relax a little bit, Give, give people the, the freedom to, give them the freedom to do what they want to do. We wouldn't have people doing what Mr. Long did. If we just relax, let people behave how, they, how their nature tells them to behave. You know, that's like saying, <laughs> that's like saying we'd have fewer rocket crashes if we'd relax the standards for calculus. You know, let, let's not make those mathematic requirements so rigorous and, and then people will be more comfortable launching rockets. You know, it, it's like saying that, that we'd have fewer bridges collapse if we just relax the engineering restrictions. You know, let, I'm okay if the, the bridge engineer got a D in, in, you know, in, in physics. I'm okay with that. I'm not driving across this bridge. It, it's, it's like saying that if it's too hard, people simply can't be successful at it. And so the Christian ethic in this regard is, is too structured, it's too serious. People can't be successful because it's too hard. And I would say that only applies when ungodly people want to pick apart the godly beliefs of the church. You see, culture wants us to back up and punt 
in this. Give them what they want. Let people love who they want to love, live with who they want to live with, marry who they want to marry. Ignore the standard that's been in place since the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's been that way from the start. We are not so smart today that we think we've outdone God's standard. So when every voice you hear is saying, church, this is somehow your fault, we've got to turn the light on and reveal just how broken all of this is. But we can't just keep pointing out what everybody else is doing is wrong. We've got to paint a better picture of why God's design is better. The latest issue of Christianity Today has an article on cohabitation. In the article, they cite a Pew Research survey that found that almost, listen to this, 60% of evangelicals believe cohabitation to be morally acceptable. Six out of ten people who come to an evangelical church, that's Baptist, Pentecostal, that's Presbyterian, those are evangelical churches who believe the Bible, six out of ten people say that cohabitation is morally acceptable. In the same study, they found that less than 10% of younger Americans find cohabitating to be morally problematic. Only 10% of young people in our country find it to be an issue. 43% of evangelicals ages 15 to 22 said that they are very likely to cohabit in the future. This is stuff in the church. This isn't just outside. This is in the church. I personally know pastors who've been forced to leave their churches because they refuse to do a wedding for a cohabiting couple in the church. We're supposed to be painting a good picture? We're not painting a good picture here. Slowly and methodically, we are falling in line with the culture and we're turning our back on the standard that God has set. And the whole time, God is saying to us, his word is a lamp and a light in the darkness. Discipline is the way of life, meaning that if you want to find life, you do this right. You practice the discipline it takes to live life in righteousness and holiness. Life is not found by relaxing the standards. Life is found in the reproof of discipline, the proverb says. By relaxing the expectation, we're simply opening ourselves up to more and more heartache. We're opening ourselves up to bigger and bigger messes. And if the church doesn't adjust itself, who can imagine what 10 to 20 years is going to look like? If we don't start dealing with these matters from the pulpits and with Sunday school classrooms, demonstrating faithfulness to biblical fidelity in our homes and in our families. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. Paint a stunning picture for us. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? You see, if we ignore God's standard, it's going to have an effect. Proverbs likens it to getting burned. You don't have to put the candle in your pocket. No one's really forcing us to walk across the coals. But if we do, Proverbs tells us there's going to be consequences. We live in a world where everybody who isn't part of the church 
and an increasing number of folks who are want to convince you you're the problem, that I'm the problem, that God's word is the problem. They say it's antiquated. We've moved beyond that old book and those old commands and those old instructions. We're, we're smarter than that book. You guys need to catch up to the times. Get on the right side of history. Stop being so prudish. But God looks at us and says, if you turn your back on the designs that I've put in place, you're playing with fire. First church I served, I remember getting a phone call one summer afternoon from a family who was panicked on the other line. I talked to the mom, and she managed to, to finally calm down and, and tell me what was going on. And as she was talking, I could hear sirens in the background. I said, well, what's going on? What's going on? The boys, the boys had two kids. The boys have, um, have started a fire Turns out these young men were out in the field. It was a, one of these subdivisions where the back half had not been developed yet and the front half had been. So there's all this cleared. You've seen these, these developments before. What happens after they lay fallow for a while? You get PVC pipes sticking up out of the ground and lots of tall brush and things that kind of start growing. And these young men decided that it would be a good day to go out and play with some leftover fireworks from the 4th of July. Harmless, right? Fireworks, we live in Alabama. If you live in Alabama, everybody who lives in Alabama has a license to play with fireworks. That's why people in Georgia go to Alabama to get fireworks, because clearly they know more about what they're doing over there than we do. So if you live in Alabama, you're a citizen of Alabama, you've got a license to play with fireworks on a dry summer afternoon. Two young men playing with fire burnt down the back half of their neighborhood. The fire began to encroach upon the homes that were already built before the fire department was able to get there and get the fire put out. I've seen scared kids before, but I've never seen kids as scared as those two young men were because they very seriously realized that they could be in serious trouble because of a moment of indiscretion. This is what Proverbs is trying to tell us. It may look harmless, Everybody may be doing it. The culture says, oh, this is okay. You guys catch up to us. But what are the consequences? What are we going to burn down in the process of trying to conform? I'm going to tell you what. I don't want to find out. So I'd rather stay true to the book that's proven itself true over and over and over and over again. I'd rather stay loyal to the Heavenly Father who has proven Himself faithful over and over and over and over again. I'd rather stay true to His plan that's proven foolproof from the very beginning. Let's avoid the folly of fire. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you for your word that speaks to us in the midst of a civilization that is, for lack of better terms, God, I think it's hell-bent on defying it and violating the standards that you have set. And so, Lord, I, I pray that, that we as a church would remain true to the Word of God, that, that even when we as individuals run, run astray, 
that we find ourselves toying with this kind of sin and, and folly, that we would be quick to turn, to repent, and to walk in biblical fidelity, that we'd be true to the Word of God, true to the standard that you've set. And so, Lord, if we've ran astray in various ways, if we have toyed with pornography and we've toyed with other forms of immorality, Lord, may we come before you with these sins of our hearts and and just lay them before you and redouble our efforts and, and trust you to help us to walk in faithfulness to your word and to your expectations. And so, Lord, even as we live in a society that wants us to compromise on these virtues, that wants us to, um, wants to say that our biblical ethic in this is what caused a man to go on a killing spree, Lord, it's like every single time they want to form an argument that says we're just out of date. We're not up with the times. And more and more of our churches are falling in line. And so, God, may we remain true even when the world around us tells us not to. Lord, I understand that in a conversation like this that many of these sins happen in private. Many of these sins happen when nobody's watching. Many of these sins happen just in the faint glow of a computer screen. And so, God, may we today shine light on that. And may we turn our attention away from those things that we are drawn to with our eyes and that we would fix our gaze on Jesus, who died for those sins, who on the cross became sin, became the pornographer, became the, 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 the murderer, became the sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the righteousness of God. We don't have to fall prey to porn addictions. We don't have to fall prey to what the culture says is acceptable. Because Jesus took care of that. And so God, as we reflect on the significance of what you're asking of us here, Lord, give us the courage if we struggle with these things to find help. To not let it continue to hide in the shadows. Give us the courage to turn our back on behaviors and attitudes that are not in line with the Word of God. Help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.